In the name of the Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So, why would anyone climb a sycamore tree? Aside from Zacchaeus, we know why he climbed the tree to see Jesus, but generally speaking, why would anyone climb a sycamore tree? Or what type of person would do such a thing? It's not like it's uh, a common occurrence in the scriptures. We don't hear a whole lot about it. So if you think about the type of person who would climb a, a sycamore tree, it would be for a reason, for a purpose. And sycamore trees are actually fig trees. So they, they're a type of fig tree. So if you're climbing a fig tree, it's to get figs, to get fruits. And it's a sort of thing that a servant does. It's a sort of thing that anyone who, who works for someone else would go to do, right? It's maybe uh, a servant of a master or a laborer or a worker would go and, or a farmer, somebody who is of the working class, right? It's not someone who has a high position or a prestigious name who would do such a thing, right? So climbing a sycamore tree is humiliating. It's kind of like the low class type of work. Okay, it's not something you would see a king doing or an emperor or a rich man with a prestigious name, right? So it's something attributed to the working class. It's, it's like hard labor, right? So for Zacchaeus, someone like Zacchaeus, is it a dignified thing for him to climb the tree, right? That's an important question to ask because we have to put this in context. And of course not, right? Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He had a lot of money. He was very wealthy. Not only was he a tax collector, but a chief tax collector. And not any chief tax collector, but a chief tax collector in Jericho, which was a very rich city. So he was a wealthy man, right? So it's not a sort of thing that someone with a dignified sense of his position would do, okay? So we always talk about how difficult it is to climb a tree and how tough it must have been for him to get up there, but we don't really talk about the humiliation that goes along with it. For somebody with a royal garment, I mean, he's a wealthy man, so he's probably like wearing his Gucci tunic or whatever he, he could afford. He's going up there on this tree and he looks like a fool, right? So there was definitely a lot of humiliation in what Zacchaeus did. But why was he willing to face that mockery for people to see this wealthy man going up on the tree? And of course he looks foolish. Why was he willing to look like a fool? To do that and to satisfy just a simple desire to see a man walking by. Like he just wanted to see a man, but why go through all of that and to tolerate that humiliation? People are probably laughing at him, this man who's supposedly rich up on a tree and looks like a fool. It's because Zacchaeus really didn't care about his image. And I don't think this is a mystery for anyone who knows a single thing about tax collectors. Because as wealthy as they were, and as big as their wallets might have been, and yes, they were prestigious in their wealth, 
but not in their notoriety. Right? They were more infamous than famous. They were notorious for crooked and unjust people. Right? So Zacchaeus didn't really care about his image. He wasn't worried about validating his name to the people. He wasn't worried about how people thought of him. Right? So only someone who doesn't care about the validation of the people and doesn't care about the approval of others would actually go and do something like this and just to go with the flow and to satisfy his desires to see Christ. Right? So he didn't pretend and he didn't put on this mask in front of people. And this is what I love about Zacchaeus. Right? Zacchaeus was a type of man that didn't, didn't care about his image. And yes, there is good and bad to that. Right? Of course, the bad is that it excused his whole sinful life. Right? His whole life was robbing people and he can go to anyone and say, look, you owe this much of taxes, you owe this amount, and he can manipulate the system. He could justify his corruption because he didn't care what people thought of him. People knew that tax collectors were crooked and they were corrupt. So to hold a position like that clearly implies you're not worried about your image or how people think of you. But it also empowered him to follow his desire to see Christ and to go out on a limb. No pun intended. But he went out to be himself. I want to see Christ. I don't care how I look. I'm not concerned about gaining the approval of society. And this was the most beautiful quality of Zacchaeus. And this is what paved his path to his conversion. His desire to see Christ was greater than his desire to earn the approval of people. You see, honesty and transparency make you vulnerable. This is what Mother Teresa says. Honesty and transparency make you vulnerable. Be honest and transparent anyway. Zacchaeus made himself vulnerable. He looked like a fool. And yes, he walked through a crooked way of life. But beneath all of that was a man that was real, a man that was true to himself, a man that was honest with his desires, a man that was transparent. Uh, if someone says this about me, someone says that about me, he's not bending over backwards to gain the approval of society or to appear a certain way, or to put on a different face, or to seem like he's someone else. He knew he was a tax collector, and he walked around like a tax collector. Anybody know who this is? This is Anthony Flew. Okay? Anthony Flew said a, a remarkable few words. My whole life has been guided by the principle of Plato's Socrates, follow the evidence wherever it leads. You're like, okay, what's so remarkable about that? All right, so if you know anything about Anthony Flew, he was a big-time atheist. Like, if atheists had a pope, it would be Anthony Flew. Right? He wrote tons of books, articles, like the biggest atheist within the last century. But at the end of his life, about five or six years before he departed, he found God. And imagine for a man like this, 
who was telling the whole world with a huge fan base, countless people, millions of people following him. And he knew the presence that he had in society and to finally come and say, hey, I was wrong. God is real. But hey, I'm going to follow the evidence wherever it leads me. People turn on me, people call me a fraud, a fake, this or that. Or I'm a coward because I'm near the end of my life and I'm just bending and changing my principles. I'm going to be true to myself. I've always followed the evidence and this is where the evidence leads me. See, God would rather have an atheist who doesn't care about his image, who doesn't pretend to be someone who he's not, than a Christian who's hypocritical. God would rather have an atheist who doesn't pretend a real human, honest, true to himself, than a hypocritical Christian. And Zacchaeus was real. He didn't pretend. He didn't pretend to be someone who he's not. He was willing to humiliate himself and he wasn't occupied with how he appeared and his image in front of people. And his commitment to just be real. I'm just going to be real. I want to go up there. I want to see Christ. I'm going to follow my heart. Actually opened the door for his salvation. This is what attracted Christ to Zacchaeus. Because think about the whole dynamic. Zacchaeus wanted to see Christ. He wanted to encounter him. But who initiated the encounter? Christ himself. And this is the irony. When we're just real with ourselves, when we're honest, Christ is the one who says, Zacchaeus, come down. Today I must stay in your house. Alright, so what is this quality all about? This quality of being real, not being so concerned about your image and being so concerned about how you appear in society's eyes and without having a real concern for satisfying everyone and bending to please everyone and appearing a certain way. At the heart of this quality is the virtue of humility. Okay. St. Vincent de Paul says, humility is nothing but truth, whereas pride is nothing but lying. So humility is just to be true to yourself, to be real. Don't pretend. Don't put on a different mask when other people are around and, you know, I'm in church, I pretend to be someone I'm not, I'm out there, I talk how people talk out there, I listen to whatever music people are listening to over here, and I just continue to bend and I put on all these different faces and different masks. Zacchaeus was real. If you look at the actual name, Zacchaeus, what it literally means, it means pure or innocent. And here's the irony. Beneath a man who was corrupt in his ways and a man who cheated people, I mean, he wasn't honest in the way he dealt with people, but he was true to his own identity. He didn't pretend. And that's where the innocence and the purity of Zacchaeus led to his transformation. This virtue of humility. Father Anthony Kinnear says, 
The doorway to humility is acknowledging and then accepting the truth. For humility is simply admitting what is true. Humility is simply admitting what is true. The case, no, I'm a tax collector. You know, people see me as this corrupt man. I'm going to go and try to see this man. If they make fun of me, they make fun of me. I'm going to go out and look like a fool on this tree. That's fine. People see your beliefs and how you carry yourself and the way that you talk and they say, you know, you're so conservative or this or that and all the accusations that come our way for our Christian faith, that's fine. Stay true to your faith. Stay true to your roots. And the truth that we have to recognize, the biggest truth and the truth that Zacchaeus knew is that deep down inside he was broken. Deep down inside he was missing something. He was lacking something. He knew that his way of life wasn't enough. It didn't satisfy him. It didn't fulfill his life. Beneath the surface of whatever we present, whether to our friends, our family, our neighbors, or anybody in the world, beneath the surface is a broken soul in every one of us. We're all broken. We're all sinners. If we recognize this, we take the most fundamental step in our transformation. And the way Michael Casey puts it in the book, Grace, he says, perhaps we can define desire as a sense of existential incompleteness. Why did Zacchaeus have a desire? Because he realized deep down there was an existential incompleteness. His life was incomplete. I'm broken. I need more in my life. I want to see this man. I heard about him. People say he heals. People say he transforms. And okay, going out to see him is going to be a real mission. I'm sure there's a crowd, sycamore tree, and I have these rich garments on. People are going to call me a fool. No problem. I'll still go out. I'll still climb the tree. I'll still try to take a closer look. He recognized his brokenness. Henry Nowen says, Our brokenness is so visible and tangible, so concrete and specific, that it's often difficult to believe that there's much to think, speak, or write about other than our brokenness. If we pretend like we're not broken, we're not fooling anyone but ourselves. And that's why we come to church. Church is a hospital. Do you come to brag about how good you are? No. You come for healing. That's why I come. It's a hospital. You don't go to the hospital just to say, hey guys, I just want to show you how healthy I am. <laughs> and if something's bothering you, you go to your doctor and you even want to amplify it to really make sure that he understands what's going on and that he can give you medication so that he can actually treat the illness. You don't pretend like it's not there. Like if you're coughing, you're like, oh, you know what? For cough, that's nothing. No cough at all. I'm, I'm good. I'm just here to chat. <laughs> if you cough like four or five times a day, you'll be like, Doc, I've been coughing all day. Like a hundred times a day. I can't stop coughing. <laughs> like, give me something. Right? You, you want to 
expose yourself because you realize you're sick and you want to be healed. This is the role of the church and this is why we come. St. Moses models this life perfectly. St. Moses the Black knew that he was a broken man. He knew that deep down inside there was this existential incompleteness. And so he followed his desire to ask about God. And when he went to the monastery, he went to Abba Isidur, he didn't pretend to be someone else. Here I am, this thug, this murderer, this thief. But I want to change. I'm broken, but I want to be made whole. He would confess his weaknesses. He would confess his lustful thoughts. He would confess his doubts. On one night, he went to Abba Isidur 17 times. Like, at a point, you would say, like, you should be better than that. Like, act like the Christian you're supposed to be. Act like a saint, you know? He didn't pretend to be someone who he's not. And that's why his search for God had meaning. He searched with God with honesty. He searched with God as a man who was true to himself. Listen to this story from the sayings of the Desert Fathers. Once the fathers of Shahid were gathered together, but because some of the people wanted to see Abu Moses, they treated him rudely saying, why does this Ethiopian come and go in our midst? But Moses, hearing this, held his peace. Right? So people are asking about him, they're questioning him. Right? They're talking about you know, the reason he's here, why is he even here? Right? So as they were talking, he just kind of kept his cool. When the congregation was dismissed, they asked him, Abba Moses, were you not upset? Listen to how real he was when he responded. He said to them, although I was upset, I didn't utter a word. Yeah, I was upset. I don't pretend like I wasn't. I'm not like holier than thou and nothing offends me and I'm so pure that you know, my humility is perfect and I'm like dead to the world and if you say this or that, I have perfect peace. He was just real. He was real in his walk with Christ. And that's why St. Moses the Black was a saint. That's why he was pure. That's why he's the model of repentance. And in some churches, he's placed in the doorway of the church. His icon is placed back there so that you walk in and out transformed, just like St. Moses. There's a beautiful little line in Shakespeare whenever Polonius says to his son, to thine own self be true, and it must follow as the night the day thou canst not be false to any man. Now, of course, he's telling his son this advice to imply, hold your own and be tough, be true. Don't let anybody step over you. Try to preserve the dignity of your humanity and be a tough, strong man. You know, if you're honest with yourself and you fight for yourself, you're going to be fine. But that's how the world 
interprets the phrase, be true to yourself. Christianity also says, be true to yourself, but it implies something completely different. It implies, recognize who you are. That yes, you're created in the image and likeness of God. A beautiful masterpiece. You're sacred, you're holy, you're precious. But you're only precious by the grace of God. Recognize that you're nothing but dust and ashes. This was the great revelation of Job. 42 chapters of Job going through hell just to realize the reality of his brokenness, the reality of his nothingness. And he comes to then, I get it, I'm nothing but dust and ashes. This is what broke him down, this process of suffering. I'm nothing, I'm broken, I need healing. That's why I'm here. If you're here for any other reason, you're in the wrong place. This is a hospital. Not to think about, you know, what, what this guy in the other pew is doing and what she's wearing and, oh my God, why are they saying this or that? You're here for your own healing. But you can't be true to yourself if you're concerned about the appearance of your image. If you're concerned about how you look everywhere you go, if you're concerned about how you sound, youth in colleges, you are an outcast if you don't speak with a vulgar mouth. You're an outcast. But if you're concerned about how you look and you're worried that you'll be labeled an outcast or whatever and you're not cool or whatever, you won't be true to yourself. You won't be true to the purity that God gave you. I remember sitting in art class a long time ago in college and I was with a group of like four or five people and they were talking about how they hooked up with other guys or girls. And they were like, you know, we're drawing and the teacher is like at the other end of the class and they're kind of going around sharing their stories. And it came to me and they asked me, you know, they're all proud of this and like this is how, uh, how cool they were. So, comes my turn to share how cool I was, right? So, like, that's not who I am. It's, you know, a lot of times people are in a situation like that and they want to appear a certain way, right? Even to their own shame, because they know that pretending is just going to add to their sinful image. But that's how the world works. It's hard to be true, it's hard to be real, it's hard to be authentic and transparent. And to say, yes, I'm a sinner, but I don't agree with this, I don't agree with that. And we can't be true with the people around us if we're not true with ourselves. That's why the phrase, be true to thyself, is the foundation. And we're true to ourselves when we come to encounter God in our own personal life, in our own heart, in our own prayers. Metropolitan Anthony Bloom says, When praying, many people put forward someone who's not the real self, who's an actor, a sham, a stage personality. When all we need to pray is a simple prayer, help me, O God, to put off all pretenses and to find my true self. God hates nothing more than pretending. Think of Ananias and Sapphira. Why did they just drop dead in front of the apostles? Is it because 
they didn't give all of their money? Is that the real problem? Because if that's the problem, we'd all drop dead every time we walk into church and we put a few bucks in the donation. The real problem was they pretended. Their problem was they acted like they gave it all. But in reality, they were holding back. They wanted to come to God to seem like they were these perfect, charitable couple. God doesn't need perfect people pretending to be saints. He wants sinners that know they are sinners. And that's the perfection of our holiness. The humility to admit the truth, the truth of our brokenness, is what transforms our life. Henry Nolan goes on to say, the great spiritual call of our beloved children of God is to pull their brokenness away from the shadow of the curse and put it under the light of the blessings. Okay, a lot of times we think our brokenness, this is the real curse, this is the problem. I'm suffering, I'm distracted with God knows what, I have all of these anxieties, I have all of these doubts, I have problems at home, I can't really communicate as well as I want to communicate, like, you name it. One item of brokenness after the next, and we say, this is the curse, I'm cursed. But we find transformation by bringing what we call that curse, our brokenness, into the light. So he says, when we do that, then our brokenness will gradually come to be seen as an opening toward the full acceptance of ourselves as the beloved. This explains why true joy can be experienced in the midst of great suffering. That's why when someone who's suffering, and you find that you know, they have cancer, terminal cancer, yet they're joyful. How? Because they found meaning in the suffering. They've surrendered to God in the suffering. They transformed the brokenness into a blessing. And that's why this humility, being true to ourselves, not pretending with people, with God, and especially not pretending with ourselves, is one of the greatest virtues we can actually cultivate in our life. St. Isaac the Syrian says, He who sees himself as he truly is, is greater than one who can raise the dead. Imagine, somebody comes in and raises the dead, but next to him, someone who's true to himself. St. Isaac is saying, the latter is the greater. So, I know I took a while, so I'll just leave you with this final example of David and Goliath. I, I think this paints a perfect picture. You know that David was a shepherd, right? And when it came time for him to step up to the plate to fight Goliath, what happened? They said, okay, we're going to make you a warrior. You got to fight Goliath. So, here you go, a helmet, a breastplate, all the armor, and here's a sword. Like, all of this gear, he couldn't even walk in it. He's a little scrawny kid with like a hundred pounds of gear on top of him. He couldn't move. He said, who am I kidding? How am I, a shepherd boy, going to pretend to be a warrior? He took off the armor. He said, I'm going to do what I know. Grab a slingshot, five stones, went to Goliath, and the rest is history. I'm going to be true to myself. I'm a shepherd. I'm going to do this like a shepherd. 
And God will work through my weakness. God will work through my limitations. God will use a shepherd to defeat Goliath. And that's why he came to Goliath saying, you come to me with a sword and a spear, I come to you with the name of the Lord of hosts. Yes, the name of the Lord of hosts, powerful enough to defeat you through a scrawny shepherd. I pray that we're true to ourselves, to recognize we're broken. But that brokenness is the place where we find Christ, the place where we find transformation. As Christ told Zacchaeus, salvation has come to this house. And Zacchaeus was so transformed, he gave half of his goods away and restored fourfold to anyone that he wronged before. When we find this grace, we are transformed the same way unto God as do our glory forever. Amen.